In Mundus, conflict and disparity are what bring change, and change is the most sacred of the eleven forces. Change is the force without focus or origin. The Elder Scrolls. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to welcome everyone to this episode. Uh, it's the final episode of our kind of sci-fi fantasy horror specials that we're doing for October, uh, while I've been working uh, pretty steadily on Season 3. Uh, and this is the last of these episodes for a time. Uh, next week we will return to those history episodes. Uh, I've gotten scripts, or outlines I should say, pretty pretty well done for the first two or three episodes, and um, I'm looking forward to getting back to those. Uh, so they'll be uh, starting again next week. Um, I will say the week of the 13th, that episode uh, that would normally come out on the 14th may be a little delayed. I have a wedding that weekend. Uh, and I should be back in time to record it, but the question is, will I feel like recording it? Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but for this week, uh, from the quote uh, for, is from me, a in-world book known as the Monomyth. Uh, and that is uh, a quote from uh, numerous um, lore books that show up in a few different games in this uh, world we're going to be talking about. And that is the world of the Elder Scrolls. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, The Elder Scrolls is a mostly role-playing fantasy world uh, that was originally released, I believe, in 1995, I think is when the first game came out, Elder Scrolls Arena, excuse me, 94, and it was released by what was at the time known as Bethesda Softworks. That has since, uh, of course, become Bethesda Studios. Uh, which is now, I think, a subsidiary of um, uh, Xbox. Uh, but they, of course, uh, have appeared on multiple consoles as well as PCs. Um, now, this is a massive world, and it's probably, I wouldn't say, it's probably not the most, um, probably not the greatest RPG series, but in my opinion, as a world, as a kind of a lore and a mythos it's definitely the most interesting at least among uh, western rpgs if not the entire world um the games have consistently uh, scored pretty well i think there are a couple of um there are a couple of less well received entries uh but uh nothing that is part of the main uh, i guess storyline or lore now, this is a little bit different from most of our stuff. This world is kind of, is very much a collaborative effort. It is not part um, of a single creator uh, that then had additions made to it, such as uh, The World of Ice and Fire, which of course was mostly written by George R. R. Martin, but he did have a little bit of help fleshing some stuff out in that. But the world is completely his. And then you have something like... Um, Excuse me, uh, there's an alarm going off in the background. I hope you can't hear that. Uh, then you have, of course, the world of Glorantha, which was, which was uh, created by an individual, but as it was part of a 
a kind of an RPG world it has been expanded on by multiple people uh, it's just more of a setting um, but Elder Scrolls again as collaborative effort it's created by that studio uh, it was initially actually um, uh, played as part of a um, in-house D&D session from several of the programmers and the world is known as Tamriel uh, uh, but it can also be referred to as Nern or Mundus. Um, but the original uh, game was uh, very much inspired by this this kind of in-house Dungeons and Dragons session homebrew that they had come up with. Uh, so it, because it descends from Dungeons and Dragons, it of course descends from a little bit of Tolkien. There are definitely. Um, aspects of Tolkien that come through in this, especially when it comes to um, the races that inhabit the world of Tamriel. But they do take their own uh, spins on things. They definitely uh, change how it works. And whereas Tolkien's is very much um, a very Christian, monotheistic-based work, uh, their world is much more reliant on a kind of not uh, Gnosticism uh, based theology and mythology as well as some elements of uh, reincarnation uh, from uh, Hinduism and Buddhism just a bit for those but it's more Gnostic than anything else uh, and we're gonna go further into those types of things later when we get to actual Gnosticism um, but it does play on kind of the idea that there is a uh, uh, we talked about the San religions already, uh, how they have uh, Kagan or Kagan, who is very much a demiurge, uh, a god who did not create existence, but who created the physical or material world as kind of a, um, not necessarily a prank, but just as something that um, almost, not necessarily a whim, but just something that uh, was new, something that only they could do, or that um, they they wanted to kind of change the nature of reality, um, and that is the case uh, in the Elder Scrolls, and we'll kind of go into that in a moment. Apologies for that edit. There was uh, several police cars driving by in the background, so I decided to cut. Uh, yes, so this world uh, kind of combines several different sources. Uh, now, uh, one thing that kind of stands out about um, the real world game is, uh, at least initially, um, the, the, the game itself, the first game in the series, which is the Elder Scrolls Arena, was actually fairly derivative. It wasn't by any means unique. Uh, it, it was very kind of in the veins of several other kind of dungeon crawling um, uh, RPG sections, but it was massive. It was very big, and that is something that has kind of stuck with the, the series as time has gone on. Uh, the second game in the series, uh, Daggerfall, uh, was uh, massive for its size. The, the world size based on your character model and how big the world you could explore was that it basically it it equates to uh a world the size of great britain 
uh, and it was the first, I think, first truly 3D engines um, that actually ran. So it had like 1,500 towns, and like I think it was populated with like almost like a almost a million uh, NPCs. Now, it should be very clear that there's, while that's true, uh, a lot of the world is completely empty. It's kind of procedurally generated, so uh, it's very impressive from a technical standpoint, at least when it was made. It was on DOS, uh, so it, it is it is not to be scoffed at, especially for when it was made. However, these days, it would not seem that impressive. And if you'd like, you can get the game for free. It is available on PC. Uh, I know it's on Steam for for free. You can download it. Uh, it has not held up great, and it may be very frustrating for a newer audience or people unfamiliar with the genre. Um, but... Uh, just bear in mind, and I'd say give it a shot if nothing else. The the lore is incredible. How quests are done, at least for specific uh, items or factions, can be very good. There is some. Um, there are quests that are repeated in how they work, and because of the way that the um, the dungeons and things like that are generated, you can get stuck in certain situations. So it's it's. It's a little frustrating at times, but uh, it is at least worth, I think, putting uh, a couple of hours in, if for no other reason than it's free, and it's kind of a piece of history. And the world is fantastic, honestly. Uh, it's one of my favorite fantasy worlds. And then, of course, you have um, the big one, the first great game in the series, which was uh, The Elder Scrolls III Morrowind. Uh, there were a couple of filling games in between there. Uh, but Morrowind kind of set the bar for a lot of people for uh, open-world 3D kind of uh, RPGs. Uh, and it had a couple of um, very expansive expansion packs when those were still a thing. Um, and then you uh, later had uh, The Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion and Skyrim, which came out in 2010 and has been released several times and re-released several times. Uh, since then uh, and they are currently working on the sixth game in the series but they also have a uh, in addition to numerous spinoffs they also have a online game that's uh, getting regular updates uh, every few months uh, and that's meant to be played uh, with multiple people uh, and it's uh, very much an MMORPG experience uh, they have again uh, crit critically speaking, most of them have ranked fairly high, at least the main games. Uh, they range anywhere between, you know, um, seven and a halfs to full tens out of tens, uh, depending on, you know, whatever a rating system is. Um, and Morrowind has sold, or I'm sorry, uh, Skyrim itself has sold a very large number of copies. I think it's the most, um, it's the most well-sold uh, Western um, series by far. Uh, that's cutting things out like Super Mario. Obviously, that's that's gonna beat everyone. But for like for a non-Japanese publisher, I think it's number one all time, as far as I can determine. Of course, those numbers are sometimes fudged by you know various tracking organizations for a number of different reasons, but. 
Um, that's kind of the general consensus I've been able to find. So, uh, the world itself. So, I already mentioned how this is kind of a offshoot of old school D&D. Um, the games themselves take place on Tamriel. Now, Tamriel is not the planet. It is a continent. And, again, the world itself is sometimes referred to as Nern or Mundus. Uh, and all the characters and uh, the races of that the characters can be made from, they appear on the continent of Tamriel. But uh, for this world, uh, it came about from a conflict between two ancient um, beings or, or gods. Those gods are known as Anu and Padme. Uh, they are brothers. They came into, I guess, the void, uh, and that is kind of considered when time began. Now, Anu is kind of the force of stability and order, and Padme is kind of, of course, the force of opposite of that. He is uh, entropy, chaos, what have you. Um, they kind of existed in a balance, uh, but in their kind of playing off of one another, they created a third being. Uh, this is a, uh, a goddess known as Nier, uh, although it, it could have basically been said to, said to have been a kind of, um, I guess, um, a sort of non-entity. But uh, for whatever reason, the uh, newly created being near loved Anu uh, and not Padme, though they both uh, loved her, but uh, she only preferred Anu. Uh, they became a family and she got pregnant and Padme kind of uh, tried to get near to leave Anu, but she did not want to, so Padme um, uh, fought and beat her very badly uh but anu comes back from somewhere and he fights padme off and casts him outside of time uh near uh, then gives birth to uh the rest of creation uh and then died from her injuries after that uh, anu is grieving this and he hides himself in the sun and sleeps uh, but the creation that she gave birth to uh, eventually kind of um, springs forward from this creation from basically an egg as it were uh, and then this kind of leads to the formation of the next generation of gods um, and it takes a long time but Padme was able to return he kind of sees this creation and hates it and he just tries to destroy it uh, and it kind of um, breaks this this world that kind of came about after creation and then Anu kind of hears this and sees it and he wakes up and he fights Padme again and he's uh, wounds Padme badly and then he tries to kind of fix the the remaining uh, aspects of creation and he kind of takes them all together and forms them into one 
uh, world, and this is known as uh, Nern, which is where Tamriel is located. Uh, as he's doing this, though, he was uh, struck from the uh, very grievously wounded Padme, and then uh, seeing that he can't really defeat his brother, he grabs a hold of him, and Padme and Anu kind of throw each other outside of time. Um, and then Padme's blood becomes uh, the a group known as Daedra, and the blood of Anu becomes uh, kind of the stars in the sky. And the mingled blood of both of them become the Aedra, uh, which is um, the kind of another generation of gods. And then from there, um, the Aedra and the Daedra, they kind of don't really react to too much with each other. Uh, but the world itself, Nern, is is chaotic. Um, so the the only survivors of this kind of climactic um, uh, struggle are uh, kind of a precursor species that we don't really know too much about, at least in the lore of the world. Uh, it's the Elanfe, or Earthbones, uh, which is kind of a... One of the things they I love that they do in this series, when you're studying old texts and things like that, like because you can read those in the book as your character. Some of those things will even help you. Um, they will level your skills up if you read them, but some are just to kind of give flavor to the world. But uh, I do love that they will sometimes use phrases that seem odd or out of place to kind of show you that like how people refer to things has changed over time and it also lends an air to mystery like what does that mean but um, I do like the idea of the people that come to make up the world are referred to as uh, the earth bones uh, there's also another species that are left behind uh, and this is known as the hist which is kind of like a organic semi-plant kind of group um, and they kind of uh, give life to trees and uh, swamps and forests and that kind of thing. Um, so you have the Aedra, the Daedra, the Elanfe, the Earthbones, and then you have the Hist. Now, there is one final group that was still around, and it may not even be wise to consider them a group because it's not truly sentient, and that is the uh, eponymous Elder Scrolls. The scrolls are special because they are basically they're recordings of events and not just past events. They are the future. They record both the past and future, and conceivably, I suppose, the present as well. Uh, and they can be read um, in both both ways. They can affect the past even after it's occurred and the future as well. Um, there are those that can read the scrolls, but us usually doing so uh, will eventually cause blindness. But then there are those that are able to kind of uh, do so uh, at specific places or with specific tools and then not be affected. Uh, it kind of depends on the person. Um, and the scrolls themselves are also, they exist outside of time. There is not really 
uh, a record of how many there are. Uh, not because there's a lot of them necessarily, it's just because they can't be known. Uh, they, they cannot be counted, I think, is the way it works. And that's one of those things that's kind of like that mysticism that I, that I kind of enjoy about the world. Um, they're, of course, able to be uh, kept and protected and watched over, and there are groups that do so. But even they recognize the fact that they do not have them all. Uh, in fact, it, it may not even be possible for anyone to uh, own them all. It's there might be a possibility that a uh, that they don't allow themselves to be kept anywhere but what they by where they need to be themselves, or perhaps uh, it is the gods. Uh, that's another factor. Uh, they are not able to uh, be dated because, uh, again, they exist outside of time. Uh, there are those that say they're Adric prophecies, that they were made by the Adra to kind of uh, guide the world that they created, but even that is not a sure thing. That could just be wishful thinking um, on the part of uh, mortality. Uh, so it's, it's a very uh, interesting concept that these exist. And um, despite the fact that the game kind of takes their name from the series, they're not actually all that prevalent in the series. I think um, I know that they show up in the fifth and the fourth game. Uh, but the fourth game, they only show up kind of like in a side quest. It's not something that has to be. Um, not something that you have to do as a player. Uh, whereas in Skyrim, you definitely have to find it if you wish to complete a couple of different quest lines. Um, and I'm not so sure about some of the other games, but I don't remember there being any in the third. Um, but I could be wrong about that, I suppose. Uh, it has been quite a while since I've played that game the complete uh, way through. Excuse me. So, um, now all the events that I've kind of, re you know, kind of referred you to, it takes place in a t period of time known as the Dawn Era. And uh, this, is a, this is a time that is not actually, it can't really be quantified. And what I'm describing and what is described to people in the world, in the lore may not even be 100% accurate. What may be described as like a physical act of, say, Anu and Padme fighting each other, uh, of near giving birth to creation, the egg of creation, that may not have happened. This could very much be just ideas that were bandied about between Anu and Padme, and this didn't actually happen. But uh, it's kind of like, um, it, it's it's... This period that we're referring to, this may not even be happening in order. That this could be different things happening at different times, and it's just relayed to us in this specific order. Uh, this is um, this is something that comes up, and also uh, this is the possibility that this is not the first time that this sort of thing has happened. Um, there are numerous uh, places in the lore where the world or the era that you're living in uh this specific time is known as a kalpa or an age or an era and this may not be the first time that a kalpa has been started or ended uh 
this is specifically, I know it's mentioned in, um, I forget which of the races have a lore where this, um, they have like an ancestor who says that he came, or that his father came from a different kalpa or a different uh, timeline. Uh, so there is a very, very real possibility that there are multiple timelines interacting with each other. Um, one of the big events in, I think it's the second game, involves your player character um, getting a hold of a of a powerful uh, object and you then choose which faction you wish to give the artifact to and in doing so you you finish out the story for the game at least the main story but then of course there are other games and series that take place after that and to kind of explain this choice away, the creators have developed um, a very interesting kind of um, storytelling um, uh, tool uh, that they refer to as a dragon break. Uh, this is an instance of, uh, I guess, high prophecy where, you know, where the fate of the world can hinge on a choice and then they make it so that uh, the dragon break makes knowing what happened impossible that this is kind of a a wound or a spinning of time where the exact order of events isn't knowable uh it's but you just know that how things ended up uh and essentially uh i think for uh daggerfell specifically which is the second game um what ends up happening is uh i think you have the option of seven or eight choices to make and then from the way the dragon break unfolded uh how the world at least was affected from this is that uh five of those endings happened simultaneously um one of the local kings that you've helped in the world he is able to consolidate the region un under his rule but then he is also placed under control of the empire who is also one of the choices uh and then a few of the um the villainous factions end up being destroyed or uh, broken uh, down and exiled. So uh, there's a few different um, things that happen at once. It's basically uh, kind of a neat way to kind of tie everything in together. And again, it plays with that idea of multiple timelines uh, happening. Um, and uh, the... Um, that is, I think, again, the second game of the series. Most of the games take place in uh, the third era of, of the world. Uh, the, the fifth one, Elder Scrolls V, takes place in the, the fourth era, very early in that, in that time. And uh, I think Elder Scrolls Online takes place in the second era. Uh, so we have the Dawn era, and then, of course, from that we have... Um, well, eventually you get to um, the... Um, these first, second, and third eras, but there is a kind of an intermediate period called the the Marathic era. This is kind of um, this is the era of myths, as it you know, as you could probably tell from the name. So this at this point, the world is created um, as we know it. Uh, there is several different uh, kind of ideas of the world forming after that with the Aedra, the Daedra, and the Elifrae, and the, um, the Hist all kind of 
you know, kind of playing off one another to create mortality. Um, the Aedra for a number of different um, reasons uh, leave the world uh, and they go to um, a different plane or are trapped or are kind of um, their physical bodies are destroyed depending on whose whose religion you actually believe which again is one of those other things the Daedra had no interest in this world this plane of existence the one that your players take here in they have their their own planes that are separate from um they're separate from Mundus they have uh, elements um kind of broken off or remnant of Padme uh, who is also referred to as Sithis in some cases. Uh, so they each have their own plane of existence that they control pretty much omnisciently. And then, of course, they try to... Um, well, some of them try to pull parts of the mortal world into their own plane or merge them. Uh, and then some just don't really care. They're kind of doing their own thing. And whereas the Aedra, the remnants of their powers or their consciousness are kind of watching over um, the the races of uh, mortals. Uh, and this is another uh, factor we can get into. Um, and this kind of plays into the idea of elves and men from Tolkien. Um, the, the, um, the mortal races are divided into three groups. At least three groups on the continent of Tamriel, which is where all the games take place. And that is men, myrrh, and beast folk. So, you have, of course, men, who are the humans. You have myrrh, which are the elves. And the beast folk, which comprise actually a fair number of races. Um, but in terms of human player characters in the games... You only get uh, two. Um, now the Mur, uh, which uh, that's just the kind of the shortened name for them. Uh, they have a number of subgroups. You have the uh, Altmer, the Bosmer, the Dunmer, and uh, a few other spinoffs. Which again, uh, the first three I mentioned were are the only player character races. Uh, the Altmer are High Elves. The Bosmer are Wood Elves and the Dunmer are the Dark Elves. Um, now they all come from an original kind of source population, uh, the known as the Aldmer. That's A L D, not not to be confused with the Altmer, which is A L T. Uh, that can get confusing if you're not familiar. Um, the Bosmer are Wood Elves. They live in kind of a deep primordial forest area and then you have the Dunmer who are also known as uh, I think ash elves or um, dark elves they um, they are kind of the more interesting in my opinion of the of the player character races of elves uh, but um, that's of course just up to um, preference on my part then you have the races of men uh, that you can play as a human uh, you have the imperials you have the nords you have the red guards and the uh, bretons 
who are kind of sort of a, a halfling um, race. They can also be referred to as Mon Mary, uh, though I think they are firmly considered elves by most, at least in like in the in-game lore. Uh, then you have the Beast Folk, which most of these are kind of like enemy characters, but there are two that are part of the player character choices. Those are the Argonians and the Khajiit. The Argonians are lizard people. Uh, they can breathe underwater, which makes them one of the more fun races to play, at least in, um, in Morrowind. It's not as much of a mechanic in Skyrim. Uh, and then you have the Khajiit, who are just basically giant cats um now all of the races have kind of a home province in tamriel uh the continent that you live on uh, and they all have their own you know political organizations uh things like that they all have various skills that they are more i guess associated with uh in terms of um uh you know game for gameplay reasons as well as just uh just parts of um tied into lore uh, the Aldmer are very good at magic uh, the Dunmer are excellent hunters they use uh, they're very proficient with uh, ranged weaponry they are I believe they're poison resistant as well as are the Argonians I think the Argonians are actually immune to disease uh, maybe not um, maybe not poisons uh, then you have the various races of men, uh, the um, you have the uh, Imperials who are very good at commerce and they are able to um, uh, communicate well. They have high charisma, I guess you'd consider it. Uh, you have the Red Guards who are excellent warriors. I think they're the best Smiths. Um, the Bretons uh, kind of are. They, they best serve as kind of like a, um, a mix between um, the Imperials and the uh, Altmer. Um, they have a good mix of um, uh, maybe less direct combat and magic. Uh, now there is one more race that I forgot to mention, and I, I'm sorry I did that, and that is the uh, Orcs uh, in this game. Uh, now they are actually a part um, of the, the Elvish race, um, which is kind of, I think it was based off one of Tolkien's early, uh, concepts of orcs, and may, maybe that's the one that he ended up keeping, I think, because I'm not sure if that was ever hashed out, it's been a while since I've read the Lord of the Rings books, but, um, of course the orcs were, in Tolkien's world, uh, they were originally elves, and they were corrupted by Morgoth first, and then later Sauron. Um, but the orcs in this, they actually followed a an Aldmer chief. Um, he kind of led their people out of their homeland to kind of you know settle and colonize these new wild uh, lands. When he ran into a Daedra, uh, one of the Daedric lords, the Daedric princes, and uh, he challenged them to battle, and the Daedric prince just kind of, uh, literally, I think in most versions of the story, uh, ate him and then crapped him out. Uh, and he was kind of corrupted from that, and he became uh, the orc. Uh, and thus that affected the rest of his people. 
And the orcs, unfortunately, do not have their own region. They kind of, they occupy uh, their own strongholds. They kind of make these little ring forts and they kind of sell their services as mercenaries or bodyguards uh, or, you know, just as arena fighters in various parts of uh, the Empire and Tamriel. Uh, they have one of the more interesting cultures in the game. And they're very good, at, of course, at combat, and they have some of the better uh, smithing skills if you wanted to create your own armor or things, uh, weapons, things like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, there are, of course, other, uh, other versions of or, these races. Um, there, are, there are elves who have gone extinct or have gone missing, um, that such as the Dwemer, which are their versions of the dwarves. So that's one of the things I like about Earth Scrolls. It's a nice twist. Uh, uh, orcs and uh, dwarves are actually elves. They're just they're different than you know what you would consider kind of the Tolkien elves. They kind of uh, do their own thing. Um, and then you have uh, there are other um, things as well. You have uh, snow elves who have gone uh, they were exterminated by the nords uh conquering uh their region of tamriel uh called skyrim uh you have the left hand elves who were uh destroyed by the red guards before the red guards even got to tamriel um and then you have a few other um uh races of men who were annihilated by um either um, disease or Argonians, depending on the lore, or just some other beast race. Um, it's it's kind of a, it's very interesting backstory, and I, I do want to kind of get a little bit more information about some of them in some of the future games, but uh, we'll get there eventually. Um, but uh, that kind of goes into the second era uh, that we didn't really talk about, um, which is the Merethic era again, the mythic era. Uh, and that kind of that kind of explains how all the races uh, formed, how they got where they ended up. and then uh, then you get to kind of the more uh, well documented and actually recorded histories. So there are still, you know, these possible mystery or mythic elements that are still kind of coalescing from the dawn age and then you're and those are kind of finishing off as you get to the recorded era um but this is a world of high magic magic is a very everyday part of life there are um you know colleges organizations built around the use of magic but then there are those that um are excellent fighters, hunters, those kind of things. Um, some of the races have a mistrust of magic and magic users, uh, and then there are some that you know that's kind of central to their way of life, to their power. Now there are other continents in the world. There is um, Akavar, which is kind of the far eastern continent. It has its own races and regions. Um, they're not really seen, at least in the main game. I do think there may have been some, like a small number of the like NPCs of those races that show up 
in the Elder Scrolls Online, um, but they're not really germane to what we'll be talking about, um, at least going forward. Um, but um, the world that you kind of end up in the, uh, as a player character, um, it's very much uh, kind of a Roman Empire with sorcerers. Uh, might be the best way to put it. Although there are elements, um, I, I think it might be better to consider it late Roman Empire, like third uh, or fourth century AD. Um, not to say that the empire is necessarily in bad shape. Um, it kind of goes province by province. Um, but the the politics of the world is another powerful uh, reason to play it. It's not all cut and dry. Every region has its own uh, ruler or governor, and then those people have to deal with like their own internal politics as well as the overarching politics of the continent. And it really uh, sets up some interesting kind of play-by-play uh, -play, uh, and things kind of get you invested as a uh, player character. And of course there are just these small uh, smaller organizations that have their own internal problems or their own uh, their own goals that you can kind of join and follow in. You have uh, Fighters Guild in most places, or a version of that. You have a Thieves Guild. You have an Assassin's uh, Secret Society you can join. And, of course, Mages, uh, Mage College, Mage Guild. Um, and they all have their own regional kind of flavors. Um, Morrowind is incredible because not only does it have all that, it also has like individual cults or temples uh, worshipping specific gods you can join, uh, both good and bad. Uh, and then um, you have uh, even like um, you can join Imperial Legions, um, organizations for um, political groups in um, Morrowind where you're, where you're playing at. Uh, so that game by far has the deepest, um, I guess, world, um, like you being able to interact with it. Um, so I think that's the main things to kind of talk about with this. Uh, you've got the world, the backstory, you've got the races. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of a good place to stop for now. Um, I will probably come back to this and maybe do some of my uh, more favorite parts of the game. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really, it's a really interesting world. It does a lot of things that no one else does with their lore, both um, in terms of uh, just creative writing, storytelling, uh, and for for game stuff too, like uh, for video games. There's uh, there's no there's no genre that has tried to rip off uh, the Elder Scrolls. Um, and, you know, especially for modern day gaming, um, where if you have a profitable idea, people will try to steal it. Um, I, I watched a video, and I forget the person's name, but uh, just doing some research for, like, how the, you know, the world um, was created. Um, there's not a whole lot of um, people trying to mimic this. Skyrim, again, it's the best-selling uh, Western RPG ever, and no one tried to do anything like it. Uh, then you have something like, say, um, The World of the Witcher. Uh, 
it has caused several studios to completely rework uh, pre-existing franchise franchises to be closer to The Witcher. Something like Assassin's Creed. Um, they went from being a secret underground assassin society game to like, hey, you're a Viking and you've got to fight monsters just like The Witcher does. And there's magic and there's gods and all this other stuff. And, you know, no one's done that with Elder Scrolls. There's not like a Morrowind, but with zombies. There's there's nothing close to it, um, which I think is kind of says something that that um, if for if for nothing else, say what you want about modern Bethesda and some of the problems their games do have. There there's legitimate criticisms to make about Bethesda as a company. Some of the choices they have in in these games, even though I think they're all very good. Um, say what you want about that i think that they do show real uh creativity and you know just passion and just skill with what they created um with tamriel and the world of the elder scrolls it's something that no one has really no one else has really been able to try and do so i think they deserve some credit for that um but uh, this isn't really a review thing. Um, I would recommend you try it out. I'm not going to give it a rating. Uh, again, uh, Daggerfall is is uh, free right now. I think it's always free. Um, and Morrowind and Skyrim you can usually find on sale. They're not too expensive, uh, especially depending on which version of Skyrim you buy. Um, and with those games, you have a huge community of players who kind of create uh, mods, like which is homemade content that they get to add into the games and use those engines. So uh, even though the games themselves are Skyrim and Hell, it's, it's over 10 years old now, and that makes me feel very, very old, um, it's, it's still incredibly deep and still has a very big online community, people supporting it. And creating new and different content for it, so it's it's definitely something to check out. Um, but I think this is a good place to end it. Almost, um, almost, yeah, almost fifty minutes in. I'm gonna have to cut some of this out, <laughs> especially uh, some of the less um, interesting parts and the, the cars going off in my parking lot, but. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed these kind of um, intermediate or bonus episodes while I've been uh, working on Season 3. We'll be back to that next time. We will be returning to Africa uh, to kind of start our coverage of 8000 BC. Uh, I know uh, the first episode, I've actually, as I was kind of... um, uh, outlining it and kind of doing uh, the highlights I wanted to touch on I did realize that uh, Southern Africa probably will be its own episode again so I won't have to mash it together with um, Central and uh, Western uh, Sub-Saharan Africa so a uh, little bit longer than I thought which I think is a good thing so uh, I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you'll continue to listen. Uh, if you have not, please subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen on tell a friend that kind of thing and uh yeah i've I, I know i mentioned it before but i do have my youtube channel up uh i am been uploading some of my backlog i've 
didn't do too many this week. I think I only got like two or three up. Uh, I'm going to try and have some more up this week, uh, but we'll see. Uh, but thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.